Hello, hello, hello. Good day and welcome to another episode of After School History. I am, as always, your genial host, Anthony J. Ashitino. And today I wanted to talk about something uh, extremely important in the history of the world, something that happened uh, just over 100 years ago. And that is the armistice uh, that ended the First World War. Wasn't called the First World War at the time, since nobody really knew there was going to be a second, except everything that they did in the aftermath of the war pretty much guaranteed there would be a second war. But we'll get to that in due time. I'll talk about that in another episode, Um, you know, why people continue to screw up in foreign policy. So anyway, the bottom line here is that uh, World War I was a completely, uh, it was a cataclysmic war. It was a war launched on the level never seen before. Um, Never before had you had um, the levels of technology that were in the war, uh, the casualties that were in the war, uh, the way that the war changed the entire way that fighting took place, um, and eventually towards the end of the war, and and I'm going to talk about this type of stuff in a separate episode, I'm just giving you the teaser here. You know, the technologies developed for that war things like tanks, things like aircraft, um, they will go on to be made much more important in the Second World War, but their beginnings are in the First World War. And the tactics used in the First World War, uh, they change. Most people are only aware, uh, especially in, uh, you know, the United States, we're aware of what we call the Western Front. We're not aware of what went on in a lot of the rest of the world, uh, it was truly a global war. Even if the majority of the fighting took place in Europe, fighting went on all over the oceans of the world. Fighting went on in Africa, in East Asia, in the Middle East, um, South Asia, everywhere there was fighting going on. And that's why it was really a a global war. It was a world war in that sense. Um, And at the end of the war, several empires collapsed one of them before the war was over, um, looking at you, Russia. Uh, But it it changed everything. And the problem was that, you know, uh, there's an old saying that a a good compromise leaves everyone unsatisfied. And that was really it. Verdun was a a poor compromise. It was was a bad uh, peace treaty. And what it did was it basically sowed the seeds for World War II, which would come 20 years uh, almost exactly after the, uh, the the peace treaty that settled World War I took place. So let, let me talk about it a little bit here. I want to set the scene, okay? So Europe had been pretty much, with some minor things, um, it had been managing to keep itself at peace for most of the 1800s. After Napoleon had been defeated, they said, right, let's not have this happen again. Everyone got back to having kings here, and Queen's there. And it was this whole idea that, listen, we're going to talk things out. Uh, France was not really punished too badly after Napoleon. They were like, all right, look, yeah, so you launched this major war. But everyone was like, look, France is a major part of Europe. We can't just, what are we going to do? We can't just, you know, banish her from things. So they said, are you sorry for what? Yes, we're sorry for what we did. Okay, come on back in. So you had Europe going, with very few exceptions, um, towards, you know, having peace, having, you know, when there was a major problem, the powers would get together and settle things out. 
Now, there were only a couple of things that were potential problems going forward. Um, one of the major problems was that the Kingdom of Prussia, which is located in what is today northern Germany and eastern Germany, northeastern Germany, was fighting against Austria for who would be the big boss of the Germanic-speaking people in Central Europe. And Prussia basically said, we're just going to become these absolutely military fanatics. We're going to develop a general staff. We're going to become, you know, the, the men here of war. Um, Austria, on the other hand, uh, you know, they, they kind of viewed Prussia as an upstart, but they also had a much bigger territory, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, um, and they were kind of interested in expanding into other parts of Europe. They weren't as big on trying to take over Germany. So anyway, a couple of things started happening that kind of doomed this peace that had existed in Europe since after Napoleon. It doomed it. And those things were pretty much as follows. Uh, first of all, the establishment of a German empire. Germany had a war with France, which is called the Franco-Prussian War because there was no Germany at the time. It was the Kingdom of Prussia. And then what happened was, after Prussia defeated France, which, of course, the French um, were very unhappy with, and, and it became kind of a thing which was like, you know, these, these guys, you know, World War I, it was like, all right, let's get back at these jerks for what they did to us 40-plus years ago. And then Prussia became the head of a new German empire. They had all the other German states to become part of a German empire, except for Austria, and Austria remained uh, in, as the head of what was called the Austro-Hungarian Empire, made up of, yes, you guessed it, Austria and Hungary, and a bunch of other lands in and around the area. Um, you know, this was an empire that was fairly fragile because what had started happening was some of the minorities within the empire had started you know, trying to speak up a little bit, and the Austrians and the Hungarians didn't want to give any ground. But it was still, you know, it was, it was an empire to be reckoned with. Uh, but by the time you got around the turn of the century into the early 1900s, it definitely was past its prime. Um, and there were some interesting things that guys were talking about. Franz Ferdinand, who then formed a band in the 19... No, just kidding. He's not the same Franz Ferdinand. They named the band after him. But Franz Ferdinand was the Archduke of Austria. And uh, he was a very interesting character. Very avid hunter. He killed like over 100,000 animals because I guess that makes you a man, had them all stuffed and mounted. Um, he had ideas of changing the government. Austria-Hungary was basically, if you can imagine this, the entire empire was kind of the personal property of their emperor. Um, it was what we would call autocratic. There was no kind of, there was no say. I mean, the emperor just had control uh, over the empire. And Franz Ferdinand had this idea of kind of turning the Austro-Hungarian Empire into a United States of Austria-Hungary, if you will, like giving independent regions a little bit more power and say in what was going on, because he felt that was the only way that you could keep the 5,000 different ethnicities that spoke 10,000 different languages, I'm exaggerating a little, that was the only way you could keep them happy, okay? If they all felt that they were just under the rule of the Germanic-speaking people, then that, that's, you know, they would feel that they have no stake in the government, and he wanted them to feel they had a stake in the empire. So anyway, we had that going on. And then what happened was there was a major event, 
And this is to show you, you know, there's something called the butterfly effect. And the butterfly effect is this argument that if a, a butterfly flapping its wings on one side of the world could start the chain reaction that results in a typhoon on the other side of the world. And it's a kind of way of saying that events that seem like they have no connection at all end up being more connected than you would think. You just sometimes have to go through the several layers. Well, what happened was, around the turn of the century, uh, Japan and Russia got into a war. And Japan uh, absolutely destroyed the Russian Far East fleet, uh, and it was the first time an Asian power had defeated a European power significantly. And so Russia, instead of looking to expand to the east a little bit more, Russia turned around and started looking more to the west, okay, where as Slavic people, they had their natural allies in the people of southeast uh, Europe in the Balkans. And so that kind of turned things around. And then, you know, you, you again, you had a series of seemingly unconnected events that ended up turning this entire, what was considered a peaceful situation, into an absolute disaster. So basically what you had is you had something called a system of alliances uh, in Europe at the time. And what that meant was that different countries found that it would be beneficial to them to ally with one another. So for example, Germany was allied with Austria-Hungary and Italy. And they all agreed, listen, you know, anyone attacks one of us, it's as if they attacked all three of us. And France was allied with the United Kingdom and with Russia. And again, it was anyone attacks one of us, they attack, you know, all of us. And this was meant to stop anyone attacking because you couldn't do something like if you were, if you were Russia and you were like, all right, I'm going to attack Germany. Well, then congratulations, Austria, Hungary and Italy are going to send troops against you and navies against you. And likewise... Uh, if you're Germany and you're like, I'm going to attack France, well, then the United Kingdom and Russia are going to send troops and supplies to, to defeat you. Now, that's all good and well. And it worked until it didn't. And the reason it didn't work was simply because the whole understanding of that is that it's like NATO th these days. An attack on one member state is an attack on all the member states until one of the member states gets attacked. And then all of a sudden, everyone, whether you wanted to or not, gets drawn into that. So what happened in 1914, again, a series of events, the likes of which it's just, you know, if, if, if I read them to you sometimes, if it, you know, you'd think that I was writing a, a story, a suspense novel, okay? So um, what happened was Austria-Hungary, I'm going to give you a little bit of what we call the Reader's Digest version of this. Um, if you're really interested, there are great resources, books, um, uh, shows, Eustrian, um, the English, um, uh, you know, uh, author, has a great, great series on First World War, uh, six DVDs, yeah, an hour and a half each or so, but it's fantastic, it goes over everything. So what happened was, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, the Serbians decided they wanted to aggravate the Austrians because they didn't like the Austro-Hungarians. By the way, if I say Austrians, sometimes I mean the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And they didn't like them at all. So they trained a bunch of guys. They found out that the Archduke, Franz Ferdinand, um, he was going to come down to Sarajevo. 
And so they were like, hey, this would be a great opportunity to assassinate him. What's the worst that could possibly happen? It's not like it would plunge all of Europe and most of the world into a massive four-year war that would kill 20 to 30 million people um, and, you know, basically sow the seeds for a war 20 years later that would kill, you know, 70 to 80 million people. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? So they got a bunch of these guys together, young guys. They were like, listen, why don't you go into Sarajevo and shoot the Archduke? See what you can do, right? I mean, that's, that's normal. So a bunch of young guys, including 19-year-old Gavrilo Princip, went in there. And the Archduke's driving around town. And, you know, he's, uh, there are a couple of attempts. There's a grenade thrown at his car. Doesn't explode. Bounces off of the roof and, you know, lands somewhere else. So... The Archduke goes to visit people in the hospital, and then he comes out, him and his wife Sophie, and they get in the car. Now, Gavrilo, who is considered the worst shot in the entire unit that was sent there to go try and, you know, assassinate the Archduke, he decides, you know what, screw this, I'm going to go and get myself a bratwurst sandwich off of this cart on the street, or something. It was something like that, you know, I don't know that anyone really knows what he was eating, but I'm going to go with a bratwurst. So as he's eating the sandwich on the side of the street, upset because, you know, he'd wanted to go and kill the Archduke, uh, and he was unable to, all of a sudden, the Archduke's driver makes a wrong turn. He's like, you know, darn it, I got to turn around here and get back on the road, the, the, right, the right road. So he basically comes to almost the full stop right in front of the stand where Gavrilo Princip is enjoying his bratwurst sandwich. So Princip says, hey, well, that's, that's the Archduke and his wife. Hold the bratwurst for me for a moment. And he pulls his pistol out, and he gets to fire multiple point-blank shots at the Archduke and his wife, hitting both of them. Now, the crowd outside immediately proceeds to start curb-stomping him to a point where he almost died. But then, fortunately, other people were like, no, 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 wait a minute. It's a bad idea to kill the guy who, you know, let's get him so that we can question him. Anyway, the Archduke's car races off, um, you know, him begging his wife, Sophie, who he married for love, by the way. Very, very uncommon at that time in Europe. You married someone because it was politically good. And in short order, the wife dies. He dies. Austria-Hungary is livid. They are amped up. And the Austrians are like, listen, we've wanted to crush Serbia for a while now. This is the excuse. What, what better excuse could you have? This Serbian with, and everyone knew it, with the, 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 the silent backing of the Serbian government, killed the heir to the throne, okay? How dare they? I mean, if you think about with England today, it would be like someone going and gunning down Prince William and, and Kate. I mean, you know, people would be absolutely bonkers. And the Austrians were. And they were like, okay. So the Austrians sent Serbia a list of demands. You know, they were like, and you will polish our shoes every single day for a year. And you will make sure that this guy is put on trial in an Austrian court. And you will do this. And you will do that. And, you will do that. and they basically set him up to fail. Okay, they gave them a challenge that they a challenge. They gave them terms that they were like, look, they're going to refuse the terms. And that way we'll have an excuse. We could be like, well, listen, because no one wants to seem to go to war just because they want to be the aggressors. It's like, no, 
It's like anything else. You want to be like, well, listen, I gave them a chance. I gave them a chance. They didn't want to take advantage. I tried to be reasonable. The demands were all pretty harsh. I won't go through. If you're really interested in it, absolutely go look them up. But the problem is that, you know, the Serbs agreed to most of them. Uh, well, they didn't agree to two of them. So <clears throat> the Austrians basically were like, okay, that's it. But there was one small problem. Serbia was Orthodox Christian, and Russia was Orthodox. And Russia, now remember, we talked about Russia had been defeated in the East by Japan. So now Russia's turning to the West and going, hmm, you know, this Austrian Empire, they're looking a little in shambles. And it was true. The Austrian Empire was a shadow of its former self. The, the military was nowhere close to as good as it had been even, uh, you know, 50 years earlier. So Russia thought, you know what we could do? We could go in and protect our fellow, you know, Orthodox Christians here in Serbia, and they're also Slavic people. And if we happen to conquer a little bit of Austria-Hungary, well, hey, that, that's so much the better. So Austria did the only thing that they knew they could do to help themselves, which was they contacted Germany and said, listen, you know, Germans to Germans here, if we go to war, do you have our back? And the Germans were like, absolutely, we have your back. This is going to be a short little war. You're going to go in, you're going to knock Serbia against the ropes a couple of times. They'll cry uncle, and that'll be that. And, of course, that's exactly not what happened. So in short order, and this is where things go crazy, we're talking about within one month, we went from Europe being at peace to every major country in Europe, every single major state in Europe, with the exception of the Italians. They don't get involved until 1915. Everyone's at war with one another. And it happened because of that system. The very system that was designed to prevent war by making sure that if you attack one member, you're attacking all of us, that actually backfired. That's how these things work, though. So what happened was, uh, you know, Austria declares, Austria-Hungary declares war on Serbia. They get their military geared up. And then Russia's like, well, maybe we're going to mobilize some of our troops because, oh, we're worried about the Austrians. Now, Germany, immediately, this sends, this sends red flags up all over the place because the Russians then, and in World War II, which I'll talk about when I do that episode, Russians had a massive amount of manpower. They could put a huge army in the field at a moment's notice. And Germany knew this. So Germany, and it's funny because World War I is also called, <laughs> called the family feud, because the leaders of Great Britain, Germany, and Russia were all cousins with one another, related through Queen Victoria of England. That's, that's how Europe was those days. And they used to call each other, you know, the Kaiser of Germany, Wilhelm, would call, uh, send a telegram to uh, Nicholas II of Russia. He'd be like, hey, Nikki, you got to stop with this stuff. And Nikki would write back to Willie. And Willie, what do you, you know, no, you need to demobilize your troops. That just makes it more fun and interesting. So the Russians were like, yeah, too bad, we're mobilizing. So Germany at that point was like, listen, if we don't mobilize right now, we're done too. So then Germany mobilized. The problem was that the German war plan, they knew that if they went to war with Russia, that France was going to get involved in the war on behalf of Russia. Now, if you know your map of Europe, which hopefully either you do, my students had better, or if you're following us along from anywhere else, 
you know, pause it now, go get a map of Europe up. You'll know that Germany is sandwiched between, well, in World War I, today there's Poland as well, but in World War I they were sandwiched between Russia and France. Nobody likes to fight on both sides. You want to fight, if you have to fight two people, you want them both in front of you at least. And that was the problem. The entire German military plan for World War I, well, for any war, not just for World War I, it just happened that that's what, what happened. Their plan was, listen, we're going to end up at war with France and Russia. Now, Russia is huge. You can invade Russia, and the Russians might not know it for like a couple of days. It'd be like, by the way, what's, what's been going on there in you know, the, the Ukraine? There's a marauding army of Germans. Okay, we'll deal with them. But you can't get a quick victory against Russia. It's impossible. It's just too darn big. So the German war plan was, this is the plan called the Schlieffen plan, where they decided, you know what we're going to do? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at France because Russia's really big. In order to get all of their soldiers together, it's going to take them at least six weeks. So what we need to do is this. We turn around and we sucker punch the French with everything we've got. And we knock the French out of the war. And then, when they're out of the war, we turn around and we, we fight the Russians. They'll have more men than us, but you know what? We, we, we've got a better army. We've got better artillery. We've got better technology. We can beat them if all we're doing is fighting them. And it was a great plan, except it didn't work. So what happened was Germany declared war on Russia, declared war on France, France declares war on Germany. Italy sits it out there like, ooh, we're going to chill for a little bit here and see what happens. And then uh, the last major country that's not involved in the war is the United Kingdom. And the United Kingdom's like, listen, Germany, whatever you do, do not invade Belgium because we have a nice treaty from the 1830s that says that we will come to their defense. And Germany is like, hey, sorry, guys, invasion plan says we're going right through there. The Germans were very, very good at saying, you know, sorry, th this is what the plan says. Can't deviate from the plan. It's like, do you want to bring Britain into the war? No. So then we have to do, nope, can't deviate from the plan. So Germany invades Belgium. Well, they first they asked Belgium nicely. They were like, hey, listen, you guys don't mind. Uh, we're just going to move a couple of million soldiers through your territory. No, nothing bad will happen there, you know, to houses and provisions and women and children. Because uh, we're, we're going to go and kill the French. And the Belgians are like, yeah, you're not coming through our country. And the Germans are like, I'm sorry, we are coming through your country. We were just asking first because we wanted to sound like nice guys. But now we're just going to invade. Which they did. And that, of course, brought Britain into the war. So in a matter of less than a month, you now have... Russia, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Serbia, um, France, a United Kingdom, and Belgium involved in the war. The Ottoman Empire gets involved in the war very shortly thereafter um, on behalf of Germany. Look, everyone thought Germany was going to win. Well, neutral sides thought Germany was going to win because they had the best army. And in those days, you have to remember, air power wasn't an issue. There were no real... You know, you know, air warfare is, is still in its very early stages. There's no types of bombings or anything. It was about land power uh, in Europe because, I mean, on the oceans, obviously, the British fleet was supreme. Uh, Germany had a good fleet. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, but, you know, the bottom line was that on land, if you were going to bet in 1914 on which army would end up winning that war, you would have bet on Germany. Or you would, have, you would have been getting really great odds because no one else thought that anyone had a chance against the German army. It was extremely well-trained, well-led, 
the best equipment drilled, and they had a lot of guys, and, and you know, you would have bet on them. Now, as it turns out, of course, which we'll talk about another time, they, they obviously don't win the war. But, and, and here's the important thing uh, to talk about with this. <clears throat> Europe ends up in a war that they think is going to be over by Christmas. <clears throat> and it was over by Christmas, only it was over by Christmas of 19, uh, 1918, not by Christmas of 1914. Both sides thought that they would get a quick victory. Uh, it turned into, by far, the deadliest war in uh, history to that point. Um, and like I said, if you consider World War II as kind of a continuation of World War I, which, honestly, I do feel it is, um, you had the same issues. You had basically the same guys being involved. There's, there's only one major change um, you know, Italy will fight with Germany uh, on the same side as Germany during World War II and World War I. They fight against them. Uh, but the other sides, the French, British, uh, Russians, you are on one side. Uh, the Germans are on another side. Um, you know, and, and that's that. This time the Germans ally with, obviously, like I said, the Italians and then the Japanese get involved in it uh, later on. But it's in a totally different theater. So, But, you know, this this war, which basically the fact of the matter was... The system of alliances, the fact that these countries relied on having treaties with one another, that was supposed to prevent the war because the idea was if you declare war on one of us, if you go to war with one of us, you got to fight all my friends here. And it sounds good in theory, but the problem is when it fails, it fails catastrophically because once it fails, everyone gets sucked right into the war because you're allies with this person and you made a deal that you were going to fight with them, okay? And so that's really what we, we end up with. You know, by 1914, we end up with all of Europe at war and, by extension, uh, European colonies in Africa, in Asia, at war with one another, and the war drags on. It is by far the bloodiest war that will ever be fought. Um, you know, because of the war also, what starts out as a mild influenza epidemic by 1919 has killed over 20 to 40 million people worldwide. All right. Major flu outbreak. Terrible. Um, and it leads to World War II. It, there's a direct link to it in which uh, almost 80 million people are killed. Uh, including the horrific acts. The Holocaust takes place. You have atomic bombings, the first use of nuclear weapons in a war. Um, so this is, all, this is all the result. The First World War, it, it, it basically gives birth to all of this, and it defines the, 20, the 20th century um, completely. And, you know, it's, it's, it's such an absolutely bonkers thing. And, and you look back on it, and you're like, you know, there are things like, you know, hey, let's just charge across open land into machine gun fire. We look at this stuff and say, by God, you're, you know, that's maddening. But in those days, this was considered the best way to go about doing it. You know, the technology outpaced. When I teach war with my students, I always talk about technology versus tactics. There's an old saying that, you know, the generals are always trying to fight the current war with the last war's tactics. Um, you know, and there was a time where you could off-order mass infantry charges across open land. But once you get machine guns that are fully functioning, 
Uh, you can't do that anymore because your guys get cut down before they get anywhere close to it. You're not talking about musket shot anymore. You're talking about guys with uh, repeating rifles. You're talking about artillery uh, that, that can just absolutely blanket a battlefield. Later, we have poison gas, you know. So you have to adjust your tactics to the technology, and it takes time. And in the meantime, millions and millions of guys uh, end up face down in the mud in places like Ypres, you know, in places like the Somme and Verdun. You know, that's just the reality of it. Towards the end of the war, they finally catch on. And, and I would love to talk about that at another point. Um, you know, I'd like to make this a several piece, uh, in, you know, several installment piece on, you know, World War One. you know. But, but eventually they caught up to it. And then, you know, by that time they were able to use the newfound technology in order to adapt it to tactics. But yeah, that's what happened. In the United States, we don't really talk much about World War I. It's kind of just like, yeah, there's this thing in Europe and in 1917, you know, there's something called the Zimmerman Telegram. The Germans tried to get Mexico to invade us and then we went to war. They sunk a couple of ships with their Untersea boats, the submarines. And so we went to war with them and the whole thing was over by 1918. Because the U.S. doesn't. We, we really don't get involved until 1918. Uh, and we suffer relatively few casualties. But in countries like the United Kingdom, France, Belgium, Germany, they fought a war for four years in which there were millions of casualties. Hundreds of thousands of people to millions of people died during the war. Um, you know, every village... It, it, across their countries was, was affected by this. And there are still places in France, you know, you go to the trenches, they still have warning signs up there, still landmines in some of these places that haven't been you know, detonated, they're not sure, so please don't go wandering about or else you might step on a World War I landmine and you'll blow half of your body off. And that's, you know, it had so much more of an impact in Europe, okay? You know, they, they called it, you know, the maimed generation or the lost generation, you know, when so many young men were coming back, yes, they, they, they had won, but the horrors of the war, you know, it affected them tremendously. And uh, after the war was over, you know, they completely redrew not just most of Europe, well, Central Europe, but they redrew the Middle East. And a lot of the issues we have today are a direct result of what went on there. I mean, the conflicts we have, uh, Israel, Palestine, the different Arab states, uh, these were all the children of uh, the Treaty of Versailles. You know, th that was it. Um, you know, and, and so as a result, I think World War I, even though it's not terribly studied in the United States, I do feel that we have an obligation to study it, to study it much more uh, because it does answer a lot of the questions that we have about why things are the way they are right now. Most of it can be traced back to the First World War and the aftermath. And so I would like to make a, a couple of installments uh, into this, and I would hope that you, my loyal listeners, will follow me through it. Um, I think that it's, it's, a, it's an incredible journey. Um, I won't make the episodes that long. I'll just pick a couple of things. This one's a little longer than I normally do, but that's because it's, you know, it's, it's the introduction and I just wanted to get all of this out to you. So um, obviously, if you have any questions or concerns, please do feel free to uh, let me know about it. 
um, you know, um, send things up. Again, I also, I have uh, my Instagram page up, Antonius Optimus. Um, I'm putting stuff up there every day. I'll be putting stuff up tomorrow about Armistice Day. Uh, in the United States, is Veterans Day. Um, in uh, the United Kingdom, it's Remembrance Day. Uh, but it was originally Armistice Day. It was celebrated that way for years because it was the day where they actually stopped fighting, um, you know, in Europe. And uh, last person killed was killed, I believe, three minutes before 11 o'clock. Three minutes before. And I mean, man, that's just... You've gone through this war, and it's like, I can't believe it. I heard that there's, we're going to stop fighting today. Boy, I can't wait to, bang, dead. You know, three minutes, three minutes, and there would have been no more shooting. The Germans and English would have come out and hugged one another, but didn't work out. So it just kind of shows you how stupid war is most of the time and how absolutely insane it is. Um, but that's a story for another time. In any case, please do hit me up with any comments, suggestions, as I always say, things you'd like to throw at me. And uh, follow me over on Instagram if you do get it. Um, I'll be putting up more episodes over the course of this week. Uh, we go back to school on Tuesday. Uh, but I'll probably try and put up another episode within a, within a couple of days. I don't want it to go too long. But I also don't want to put up, like, you know, three episodes within three days. Because that'll kind of, you know, people will just be getting used to the first episode. And uh, they won't get the other one. So, anyway, um... I wish all the best to everyone out there and uh, to all veterans of all wars. Um, You know, tomorrow, a very solemn day. Uh, There are no more survivors. There's no one left that can tell you what it was like at the Somme or at Verdun. You know, but that's the way life goes. Um, So we have to remember every single day uh, to be thankful for what we've got. And we have to remember history lest we should be condemned to repeat it. I will talk to you all soon. Bye-bye.